welcome to the Sociology and Animals podcast series. In this program, we speak with folks specializing in the sociological study of animals and society in an effort to document and explore how research in our field is applied in the real lives and careers of sociologists. My name is Dr. Corey Wren. I'm currently chair of the Animals and Society section of the American Sociological Association. But this podcast is coming to you from Canterbury, England, where I have been living since 2019 after accepting a position as lecturer in sociology with the University of Kent. Here in the UK, I am a member of the Animal Human Studies Group of the British Sociological Association, as well as the Vegan Society's Research Advisory Committee. In addition to teaching environmental politics, social movements, and animals and society at the University of Kent, I'm also co-director of the Center for the Study of Social and Political Movements and a member of the psychology department's Shark Lab, which stands for the Study of Human-Animal Relations at Kent. As you can see, I have had the great privilege to develop my career around various facets of animal studies, but it hasn't been easy. Our field is growing, but it is still small and doesn't always elicit support from colleagues, prospective employers, editors and reviewers, grant funders, and so on. My aim with this podcast is to challenge this institutional discrimination and provide some insider insights into making a career out of animal studies. Not that long ago, the idea of a career in animal studies would have seemed impossible, if not outlandish. Today, there are considerably more opportunities, but a lot of mystery and ignorance remains about how to go about pursuing and succeeding in this line of work. Especially with academia being so competitive and prestige-oriented, I think a lot of folks are hesitant to discuss the nuts and bolts of their career making. It is my aim that this podcast will serve as a sort of informal virtual mentorship for folks interested in learning more about the sociological pursuit of animal studies. So without further ado, let's meet today's guest. So here we have Casey Reardon. Casey, what's the word? What's going on? What's shaking? Hey, how you doing, Corey? How's it going? I'm about to take my cat to the vet. Oh. I'm so sad for Trudy. I hope she feels better. Well, not to be a downy, a a downy, a Debbie Downer, but she does have cancer. So she just had surgery to have like her mammary tract removed, which should buy Mm -hmm. her some time, but she's only time. She probably won't make it another six months. Uh, Okay. Sorry. You asked and it's out there. Okay. So let's go. Sorry. We're sending you good vibes. Yeah, I know. One of the reasons I wanted to to launch this podcast now is because of her, but also my other cat died uh, three weeks ago. He was almost 16 years old, and he met a very unpleasant end as well. That's what Trudy's looking forward to. I mean, he had some kind of bowel problem, possibly cancer. We don't know. But anyway, he basically starved to, to death despite having a healthy appetite. It's been extremely, extremely difficult for me, like really difficult. And I I think one of these days I might just do a podcast just talking about grieving as a vegan when you live in a world where people don't take it seriously. But anyway, folks were just interested in the background of why this podcast here and now um, as as chair, like my chair duties are coming to an end in August, but also this shit I've been going through with Keely and Trudy has just been so unbearable. And this has been one way to just kind of feel like I'm giving back to animals being useful in some way. So enough about me. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, this is so sad. I, I mean, I think it's important. I think it's important to recognize that grief for animals is absolutely valid. And so um, I'm glad you found an outlet to kind of uh, channel your grief. Yeah. And I hope that this will be useful too. This is what I've been saying to other folks who've been on before you. 
I think this should be useful to other folks who are interested in coming into this field, which is why I specifically asked you to come in, because as we're going to unpack in this next 30 minutes, you have been one of the few people I know who've had the pleasure of actually being trained in animal stuff, and then you've gone on to a non-academic career. So why don't you just really quickly tell folks who you are and what's so amazing about you? <laughs> well, I don't know about amazing and definitely not interesting, but <laughs> so my name is Casey. For those of you who don't know me, I spent five years working as a communication specialist in the U.S., in the U.K., and Australia before switching to the animal studies field and working in animal advocacy. So in 2018, I joined NYU's inaugural animal studies MA program, and that is where I became involved in our section, the animals and society section of the ASA, first as a conference committee member. For those who were at the conference at NYU last year, you may have met me. And then I transitioned to become the newsletter editor, which is what I'm doing now, and I love it. So I graduated from NYU in 2020, so earlier this year, and immediately after, I joined Phonolytics as their communications and development manager, and my job has me working closely with both academics and advocates. So I feel like I kind of get that um, incredible privilege of being able to work with um, both types of people in our in our community. So that's me. Oh, I have a bearded dragon and two cats all rescues. So since you're you're in a unique position as far as your background, what how you got into, or, I mean, tell us a little bit more about that, how you got into animal studies to begin with, because you have a much different background before that. Yeah, absolutely. I should say in full disclosure, you know, I am so proud of being in this section and I'm so honored to be in, in our section. And it's funny because I have three university degrees and not one of them is in sociology. So <laughs> um, I have a social psychology, I have communications and I have animal studies, but not sociology. So um, I have learned so much from being in this section, but I definitely don't have necessarily have the theoretical foundation that a lot of students of sociology have. So how did I find my way into animal studies? When I was working overseas, most of my job was um, in the digital sphere, so helping companies with their online uh, communications. And I quickly learned something that many sociologists are already aware of, and that is that so much of our social lives are intertwined with non-human animals. And this was only something that became clear to me in our online social lives. So it was things like virtual foster and rescue networks, pet influencers, influencers sharing their interactions with elephants, like elephant rides and social movements online, like Cecil the Lion and slaughterhouse videos going viral. And all of these things sort of made me think there's something to dig into here because it's so interesting that animals don't use online platforms yet they are permeating our online lives. And around the time that I decided I wanted to dig into this, NYU launched its uh, master's degree program in animal studies. So on a whim, I applied and I got in. And that is truthfully where I sort of got involved in our section and how I got involved in animal studies from a sociological perspective. I really love that because actually folks I've been talking to for this series are also coming to the sociological, I guess, study of animals through all kinds of different disciplines and sub-disciplines. And that's really one of my aims for this podcast is to really emphasize to folks, you don't have to be hardcore down the line sociology in order to, to adopt a sociological perspective on other animals. So absolutely, I know I have so many students from communication who 
think very sociologically. So I think it's really important for us to um, be thinking outside the box. And it's one, one of the reasons it's really wonderful to spotlight what you do to kind of show people who come after you, like this, this is a, a way that you can um, put your skills and talents towards your concern about other animals. So saying, having said that, what is it about sociology, do you think, that is conducive to animal studies? So I think what's interesting, in addition to what I just said about, you know, so much of our social lives being intertwined with animals, um, and I will say on the one hand, I'm sure many people who, you know, will listen to this podcast are already aware of this, but in one sense, our relationships with animals are you know, this idea that we as humans are completely separate and superior to non-human animals, that is for sure a construct and something that comes out of our years and years of, of social history and social experience. And that's something that I believe sociologists are well-placed to unpack this, this notion of human superiority. Um, to animals. And, but then on the other sense, one that's a bit more practical, I think it's kind of funny because the reason I ended up getting involved with sociology of animals is because it was the closest discipline to social psychology in the social science field that was actually taking animals seriously. Mm. And as bad as that sounds, like it's actually true. And so when I joined, when I joined the section, it was because it was all that was there and that's why I got involved. But then I quickly realized that, you know, there's something there's something to say about that because as sociologists we are trained to look at things that are seemingly ordinary in our daily lives yeah. and to recognize how these things aren't actually ordinary how our relationships with animals seem to be absolutely natural and normal um but really it's a reflection of our social experience and our social history that that um has conditioned us to think that eating animals, um, keeping animals, relating to animals in different ways is something normal. And um, I love that the folks in sociology are pioneering this and I think they're best place to do that. Well, it's interesting for you to say sociology is the best for that because all these things that you're saying, we can write it all down, we can put it in a fancy speech and turn it around and give that same sociological framework to your average sociologist. And they just kind of, you hit up a brick wall. They just don't understand how this, these theories and concepts can actually be applied to all living persons, non-humans as well, which is kind of frustrating. We can have all these tools and yet it's like, you know, lead a horse to water and they may or may not drink, you know? I understand. I'm also very inspired though, because I, I have recognized that we as young students of sociology, my generation, um, students that are currently in sociology, we're in a pivotal place right now where I noticed that whenever I was talking to people in my sociology courses that I, that I was taking about animal studies, they didn't necessarily write it off. They were interested. I think that we're at a really great moment where it's all about encouraging students to open their minds and consider thinking outside the box. And I think that rather than, you know, recognizing that people who have been in the discipline for many years may not take this as seriously. I think up and coming students will, they can and they yeah. will. And I think it's the job of our section yeah. to educate them on why it's important. Yeah, I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think it is very important for us to be very student focused. Actually, the reason that I got interested in doing animals in society like full time was when I started as a PhD student and it was an environmentally focused program and it was a theory class. And 
I had been vegan for many years at that point, and I remember applying a non-human animal example to this, I think it was something about social interactionism, maybe meat or something. And I brought it up in the discussion and all the other students were like, whoa, yeah. And they just started talking about it, debating it. And then the professor just shut down the conversation and said, we're never going to know about animals. So let's move on, keep talking about humans. And I just remember that being a kind of moment, like what? And from there on, I realized there's a lot of institutional barriers. But what I've also remembered from that point was that the students were really interested. They really cared about these things. And then as I've gone on to teach animals in society, students are like they're humans and humans have this kind of innate curiosity about other animals and I think it's a real shame that sociologists kind of get socialized if you will by the system by you know the, the very professional conservative academic system which is a shame um, but I digress <laughs> um, but you know I think I think what you said is, is something that if I were to you know talk about what sociological concepts are important for people to think about if they're interested in animal studies. Like when I was thinking about this, um, which was one of the questions you wanted to talk about on the podcast. I'm sorry if I'm jumping ahead. No, I'm on ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, but what I was thinking is, I think rather than recommending one concept or one theorist, I think exactly what you just said. For me, I went through an entire master's degree program in social psychology where we studied Mead and Foucault and Habermas and Goffman, and not one time did I look at any one of those theorists and think, how can I fit animal studies into these frameworks? Because I wasn't really thinking about animal studies at the time. And so I think anyone who's interested in animal studies should go back and look at these foundational and fundamental theories yes. of our discipline and see how you can look at it from the viewpoint of an animal studies scholar, and you will be surprised at how much you'll learn. Absolutely. And there's so much fruitful work, room for that work to be done because this is really something that professionals, sociologists have only been doing for the past 10, 15 years. And so, so there's so much work yet to be done. And so for students who, I think one of the things is if you don't see it, if you, it's, and this is a little bit of social psychology, this existence bias, if, if it exists, it must be a good thing. And if it doesn't exist, well, it must not be. But honestly, it's just, what I'm saying here is for folks who are maybe um, starting out as sociology students and you're learning all those core things for the first time, like now is a really, really good time to be putting on this critical thinking skills and thinking about maybe I could do this for a master's program or beyond. Mm -hmm. um, so thanks for that. Um, maybe now, since we're, we're getting towards the end, let's talk a little bit about what is it that's maybe new in your neck of the woods? Because, so you're, you're kind of straddling a lot of different kind of realms. You're doing communication stuff. You're doing social psychology. You're starting with phonolytics. What is going on now in your neck of the woods that you think is just really exciting and you really wish other folks who are interested in sociology or social sciences, animal stuff, what would that be that you would want to share? Sure. Um, so I don't know if I would say necessarily exciting. In a sense, it is exciting, but I would call it absolutely important and critical and overdue is the new and um, really amazing focus on intersectionality in the animal protection and animal advocacy movement. I think, you know, Corey, I, I follow all of your social channels, and this is something I know you're passionate about as well, but in the animal advocacy space, it's something that we're pushing the notion that all oppression stems from the same place. And it is an incredible opportunity for people in our movement to support other movements right now. Um, 
with all of these civil rights, um, the civil rights issues happening in the U.S. right now. And I think this is an opportunity for us on the scholarship side of things to really dive into how issues of racial equity are, you know, manifesting and are related to animal studies and animal protection, because there is a lot of overlap with, you know, all oppressions, as you know. And so I think one thing we've been trying to do at Faunalytics is try to dig into scholarship and dig into academic studies that address this issue, this issue of intersect intersectionality. And um, it's been sort of eye-opening to me that we haven't been able to find a lot, a lot, a lot of empirical research. There is some, um, there absolutely is some. I know we're, we're looking at a study by Jessica Greenbaum that came out and I'm sure there are many others, but I also wanna take this opportunity to say, if you are a scholar that is working on issues of intersectionality um, in the animal rights and animal protection movement, please send it to me because this is something that we are absolutely interested in hearing and that the animal advocacy movement is interested in hearing. And so this is something that I think will continue to become more and more important. That's really interesting you chose that. Every single person I have interviewed thus far has said the same thing. So <laughs> that makes well, it pretty clear. This is like I've the thing. Talking, yeah, I've been talking to a few sociologists over the past few weeks and I've been hearing it from them too. So maybe it's just a discussion that all of us in our, in our program are just really excited about. But, but um, it's something that I, I believe, again, I think this is something that's long overdue. And even at NYU, um, as early as when I first started, it was something that I learned right from the get-go and I, it was just eye-opening, like, mm. oh my God, yeah. all oppression is one oppression and we cannot end the oppression of animals unless we end the oppression of other humans. And that should just be common sense for us. Like that is obvious. And so I think it's, it's important that we as leaders in the animal studies field communicate this and show our support any way that we can. Yeah, I think that's one of the very important roles that Faunalytics plays because there's obviously... For anyone who is listening to this and you are in, in academia, be you a student, be you a teacher, and you're also involved in the activist community and so you're watching what's happening on Facebook and whatever else, if these intersectionality concepts infiltrate into activist spaces, you would think it is common sense, but it is not necessarily mm -hmm. so. I remember FCO, um, this is before, I think right when she launched um, Black Vegans Rock, which was a website program. Uh, project. I don't know if she runs anymore, but she's authored other books since then. Anyway, so she created this website, very simple, <laughs> Black Vegans Rock, because her problem was that when we're talking about intersectionality in the movement, we say, oh, the vegan movement is too white. And she's like, well, white as far as the dominant ideologies to get all the support and platform, but there's definitely lots of people of color who are vegan. And so she started this website just to spotlight people of color and specifically black folk who are doing veganism in various ways. What, what, wow, like it's not even, it's like, okay, cool. It's not anything controversial, I would say. Yeah. But then yeah. the Vegan Society uh, promoted it on their Facebook page and Floral Ave, she just got a tirade of hundreds of comments okay. ripping into her like, this is- Oh my God. And, and this wasn't that long ago. This is, I think maybe 2016 or so. And I just, cool. I mean- I remember just that was one of the biggest wake up calls for me. It's like that. So as you said, we need to be leaders. We need to be really working hard to erode this disconnect between academic scholarship and research and on the ground activism and faunalytics plays a really important role. And I just want to say as someone who I do public sociology, because this is one of my passions, I'm not just doing the research for the sake of doing the research. I'm doing this. I'm dedicating my career to trying to advance animal interests, period. 
And so I think Phonolytics is really useful for trying to make bridge that gap. And Phonolytics has also always been very welcoming to my research. And so this is a suggestion that I have for anyone who's doing this research. As Casey said, email Phonolytics. The actual people on the other side of the email <laughs> will receive it. They will be <laughs> on the case. Yeah. So, yeah. And that yeah, and I was gonna say that goes for for scholars who are working on any project that you feel would be relevant and important for animal advocates to be aware of, um, please send it to me. We are always on the lookout for research on, on that can be used to support animal advocacy and the animal protection movement. And while I can't guarantee, we can always feature a study. It's, we will absolutely read through and discuss every study that is sent to us. And the other cool thing that Faunalytics does is that it doesn't just say, here's a link to some study. It has no. someone go in and summarize that study in one page or less, in words that people can understand, <laughs> so that you don't have to go, if you're not academically trained, you're not a scientist by trade, you don't want to sift through some 30-page paper published in like science or hmm. what's PLS one? I forget what it stands for, but <laughs> like jargon-heavy, super science journal. Like the average activist is not going to do that, but they can yeah. go to phonolytics.org and then check this stuff out that you guys are putting up there. And my last point on that is, this is a little bit of the activist in me, but I do think it's really, really important that, you know, academia is only one element of our activism. Like, you know, I was talking about how sociologists really need to be re-socialized, but we, I think mm -hmm. we have, if we're doing this research, we have an, a duty to be working with folks like Casey and uh, organizations like Phonolytics and, and engaging in social media and working with activist conferences and things like that to get this research out there. We, it, For sure. too, too many of our, too many activists like are, are just, kind of hold up and don't do any of that kind of stuff. They just publish stuff and move on. And I think it really, really is a, a, something that we need to be taking a little bit more seriously is don't just expect that, you know, that you build it and that they will come. <laughs> you have to kind of do that extra work to make sure that the information mm -hmm. is getting out there. So I okay, a very I, symbiotic relationship. Yeah. So I'm rambling a little Sorry. bit, but I did want to like just oomph, um, boost up what you were talking about, like why what you're doing is so important and why we as academics also have to kind of, you're right, do work in that symbiotic relationship. So the cool, last you're doing your job for me. Can I hire you? Can I hire you as my co-communicator for Phonolytics? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, we'll work for treats. Um, so how about this? Let's let's finish up and you can tell us a little bit about some advice about what you would have about getting into this field and then maybe where we can reach you. And Miss Trudy is here. She's ready to get her stitches out. I hear her. She's like, Mom. I'm gonna, I'm gonna uh, give her a few treats while you finish up and tell us a little bit about um, advice you might have and where we can find you. Great. So my advice, I guess, would be separate for someone who's already an academic and someone who is a student that's potentially interested in uh, progressing their academic career into animal studies. Um, I'd be similar for both because I would say, reach out to anyone in our section because. When I was first figuring out where to find my footing in sociology, I was so welcomed and embraced and encouraged by members of our section, and I still am to this day. And you will be happy to find that the people in this section are some of the most open-minded and supportive people that I have met in academia and in the animal protection movement, and I cannot recommend our section enough. Um, and then for, I especially wanna to speak to students, 
I think if you're interested in animal studies and you don't know where to begin, I was in the exact same place. My best recommendation would be to read as much as you can, speak to as many different people as you can, and finally consider opening up your mind and your ideas and consider looking into topics that maybe you think aren't interesting or aren't something you would potentially want to pursue because you will be surprised to find out how many interesting ideas there are out there that may captivate you that you never thought would be interesting. So, you know, I never thought I would be studying um, alligator protection, but I finished up a paper that we're trying to get published on alligator wrestling and its impact on alligator welfare. So something like that is, is just so not something I ever thought I would look at, but um, it was all because I decided to explore tons of different topics in the field of animal studies. And I recommend that students do the same. I, um, I also yeah. <laughs> toot, your, toot your horn a little bit because I don't know if you're gonna, you're too humble, but Casey has also been very, very, very um, important for our section as far as doing a lot of the organizing of events and our newsletter. And I think for, like, this is one of the reasons, one of the ways I got involved with the section, not through organizing a conference, like, gosh, you were a boss, but I was just <laughs> doing like newsletter stuff. But that's when I first met you, correct? When you did the NYU pre-conference last year. Yes. Yes. And we're just like, you were a force to be reckoned with. <laughs> like, it was just really, really cool. And I was thinking like, wow, this is a go-getter. And for students who really want to work with like their networking and things, I think networking is really important. So yeah, open up to different projects, open up to volunteering. And uh, what else were you going to say before I interrupted you? No, I think that was pretty much it. Talk to people. I, I want to emphasize again, I wouldn't have been able to even be on the committee for any sort of conference planning if it wasn't for the, you know, acceptance and, and just welcoming attitude of everyone in our section. And I have never had a bad interaction or something that I've never come away from anyone in our section feeling like, oh no, maybe I'm not, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe I can't do this. No, if anything, I leave conversations with people in our section being like, yeah, I can take over the world and help everyone, <laughs> you know? So I just think it's, it's such a, we're such a close knit community. And I am so, I am so just hoping that if anyone's listening to this and wants to get into animal studies, please consider reaching out to someone in our section. We will welcome you with open arms. Yeah, I actually want to say that when you were saying that you never felt, you said you never felt not welcome, but you also thought it was a tight-knit community. I think for me, when I first got involved in the section, it was that camaraderie that intimidated me. I didn't know oh. anybody. <laughs> I was young. I didn't know anyone. So I just wanted to clarify for folks who might not be as outgoing, like I was very, very shy. <laughs> and you know, like, oh, geez, I don't know anybody. But we're just telling you that we're, we're, we're aware of that. We also are, one of our number one goals with this section is to be uh, mentors to folks who are new to the field and want to go on in the field. So please, please, please do not be frightened of us. <laughs> How about that? All right, yeah. so we got to wrap this thing up. Miss Trudy's going in the box and we're going in the taxi. We'll get these stitches out. So where can we find you, Casey? Sure. You can find my, um, my email address is, and I'm not sure if you'll be able to post this, but it's um, Casey at Faunalytics.org. And if you want to see the work of Faunalytics, which is the organization I'm heavily involved with, it's my career, um, just go to Faunalytics.org and um, you can, you'll find me there. That's what I'm doing every day. It's the most incredible organization. I'm so fortunate to be a part of it. And um, yeah, we would love to hear from you. If you're an academic, a student, just please always feel free to reach out to me if you have questions about studying animal studies, getting involved, different ways of getting involved with the animal protection movement. And um, I'm here. So I am here with 
open arms. <laughs> I'm reminded of a journey song. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Casey, you are a warrior queen. So oh, let's leave okay. it there. And thanks so much for your service to the section and for all the wonderful- You too, Corey, thank you. Awesome, well, goodbye everyone. It has been wonderful speaking with you and um, stay safe and stay well. Thanks for listening to Sociology and Animals. I hope you found it helpful and informative. If you want to learn more about the sociological study of society and animals, you can check out the website of the Animals and Society section of the American Sociological Association or my own website at coreyleevren.com. You can also check out the International Association for Vegan Sociologists, and the website for that is vegansociology.com. Feedback and suggestions can be submitted to myself at coreyren at gmail.com. That's C-O-R-E-Y dot W-R-E-N-N at gmail.com. If you liked this episode, be sure to share the series with others. The music for this podcast was provided by Ode to Sleep, a band local to where I live here in East Kent, England. Ode to Sleep explores various topics with their music, including human and animal rights, environmental issues, and quality and mental health. Their debut EP will be released in September 2020 through Is No I in Team Records. Their single feature here is called Captive Audience and is available now on all streaming platforms. Until next time, this is Dr. Corey Wren signing off. Have a